Max, I think it all comes down to the fact, and I hate saying it, but I say it over and over again, full belly syndrome. It's full belly syndrome. It's driving me freaking nuts. Like I'm literally like, I, I, I don't know, man. I'm just getting it, ticked off. <laughs> this is what I recently realized, right? That this is a really simple business. I mean, let's be honest. It is, it is right? It's not rocket science at all. It really isn't. <laughs> right. So I don't want to say, you know, that I'm this brainiac, right? I'm a, a regular guy. You know, and, and if I can do it, I think anybody can do it. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Coffee with Jason podcast, your source for service talks and cold brew shots. Today, Jason is chatting with Max Zanin. They'll be jamming about the process, your service department, and where the future may be headed. Grab your closer's coffee and settle in, but first, a word from our sponsor. For freshly brewed discussion on automotive sales and marketing, this is Coffee with Jason. The Coffee with Jason podcast is sponsored by Closer's Coffee. For that full-bodied, rich, sweet flavor with a bright acidity. Drink Closer's Coffee, stay caffeinated, and keep on closing. Find out more at closerscoffee.ca. Hey, what's going on, Podcast Nation? It's Jason Harris here with Digital Dealership Solutions. Hey, thanks for joining me on another episode of Coffee with Jason. Today I have my guest, Max Zanin. Did I say that right? Yes. Okay. Perfect. Max, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me tonight. I really, really appreciate it. Hey, for everybody that's listening and uh, watching right now, if you can kind of just give us that origin story that is Max, that would be wonderful to start. So, so first, Jason, thank you for inviting me to your podcast. Uh, I, I'd like to take this opportunity and, um, and use my origin story to make a simple point that uh, car business is absolutely phenomenal. And uh, it can provide uh, so much for you and your family if you do it right. And uh, I think we are in a desperate need of people getting into this business because unfortunately it has a bad rap. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also live in the environment with uh, probably one of the lowest unemployment stats on record. So people get pulled away from high school, from college into other industries. And uh, when I finished college, um, I couldn't get a job, in, <laughs> you know, in 2001, because uh, it was just not that great of an environment. And... Uh, you know, my, I majored in uh, in security management because I wanted to be like James <laughs> Bond, you know. And there's, nice. not, there's not that many job openings for James Bond, you know. And um, I went to John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York City, uh, and it's located on 10th and 59th Street, 10th Avenue and 59th Street. And, and on 11th Avenue and 61st Street was Potemkin Volkswagen. <laughs> So, you know, to make the long story short, you know, this is where I started selling cars. And, um, you, you know, it was, uh, it was really a phenomenal environment. They invested their time and effort to really train salespeople on the process, on how to negotiate. And, um, and, and I learned the basics there. And then in this business, you know, it's a true meritocracy. You don't need to go to an Ivy League. You don't need to go, you know, even to a regular college. As long as you're good at what you do, you will be promoted. Mm -hmm. And slowly but surely, you know, 
I was a sales manager, finance manager, general manager, and uh, I ended my uh, automotive retail career running three dealerships. And uh, it was a phenomenal experience, and it was back in 2008. And from then on, I went into F&I products and training, and from that, I went into compliance and uh, wrote two books, first <laughs> which uh, basically is uh, almost like a textbook. So in Perfect Dealership, I spend, uh, I dedicate each chapter to, to a department. So it tells you what to do in sales and BDC and F&I, HR, IT, parts and service. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was... The only reason I did it is because there's no professional training, really, in our industry. You know, there's no F&I major at a local university. There's no BDC major. So what happens is that you end up being trained on the job. Yes, on-site training, yep. And maybe I got lucky, right? And I was trained by good people. But, But not everybody gets lucky. And oftentimes you get trained by people that really don't know what they're doing. And that's how, you know, bad habits carry over from one generation to another. So I wrote the book because I figured, you know, at least this would be better than nothing. <laughs> and the book was a great success, you know. And, and then I decided to follow it up with the second book that's called Car Business 101. And it's the flip side of it. So I am in dealerships every day. I work with car dealers. You know, I help them with compliance and F&I um, and, and general sales processes. And, and what I see is so alarming that I actually wrote a book about what they, the crazy shit that they do. <laughs> That's the subtitle of the book. Wait, it's car business one We do do some crazy shit. <laughs> we do. You know, and, and I wanted them to see it with their own eyes because some of it is really, really hard to explain. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. Hey, we, we had an opportunity to little talk, uh, talk um, before we started this, and, and I thought you had kind of brought up some great points. And, you know, we touched a little bit on Carvana. We touched a little bit on possibly Amazon getting into it. And, you know, really what I think I want to do is kind of take our time and, and really kind of discuss about how you see our industry moving. You know, wh- where do you see it going over the next couple of years or maybe the next five years and really kind of moving into the next 10 years? You know, because I think there's just, you know, look, at the end of the day, we've been doing the same thing for the last better part of 100 years in our sales operations and our marketing efforts. Like we, we are so on the cliff ready to change. And I think there are some dealerships out there that are doing a phenomenal job of it. Then there are some other dealerships that just won't, they just don't want to. They're scared. They're afraid. They're just just holding on for dear life to, to maybe just in, in the good old days or whatever the hell you want to call it. Right. So, so what do you, what do you tell in dealerships? Like, what do we say when, you know, when that kind of comes up? So, so change is inevitable. Yes. And, uh, and change is, uh, is really incremental. Uh, and this is a true statement for every industry except two. <laughs> except car business and real estate, right? For some reason. I don't know why. Right? <laughs> I would love to know why. <laughs> you know, they are immune to change. At least they have been for a long time. That's 100% true. I mean... <laughs> Just, right. I don't know why, but we've been, been able to get away with not having to change for such a long time. 
but unfortunately, you know, chickens are coming home to roost. <laughs> and a lot of things in life really don't depend on you, right? They're mm-hmm. outside of your control. And what's happening now is completely outside of car dealers' control. Amazon and Uber, I think, are ultimately responsible for retraining all of us mm-hmm. when it comes to consuming goods and, and having a transparent relationship with another party. How we interact with the retailer, 100%. Exactly. So when I you know, go into my Uber app, right, it tells me when the car is going to be downstairs, yep. make and model, name of the driver, rating of the driver, and most importantly, it's going to tell me up front how much it's going to force to go from point A to point B. There's no fine print. There's nothing, right? It's not like, well, when you get here, you know, maybe we'll recalculate the algorithm, you know? <laughs> and, and same thing with Amazon. When you buy on Amazon, you know, when it's going to get delivered, how much you paid for it, what the ratings are, what the customer reviews are. And if you don't like it, you can give it back. Yep. No questions asked. No just, question I'm just give it back. Sure, no problem. Here you go. Right. So, so now we are getting used to this more and more every single day. Yes, that type of interaction, that type of purchasing. Yep. And then once every three or five years, we need to buy a car, right? And you walk into the dealership and you feel like you just got teleported right into the 90s. <laughs> yeah, right? late 80s, 90s. That's totally true. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like, you know, and the best thing is that like, you walk into a car dealership, especially if you know the owner or the, or, the, or the senior managers, right? And you see Amazon deliveries all day long, right? They get yeah. personal stuff delivered, right? <laughs> but when you tell them, hey, you haven't thought of delivering a car to the customer's house? And I'm not saying you have to do it from New York to Kentucky. No, right? no, no, no. I mean, we're just talking about literally a 20-minute drive. Yeah, how about like, 20 mile radius? Right? Sure, exactly. There you go. And they're like, oh, no, this is insanity. You can't do that. You you just got, you know, some shit from Amazon delivered from thousands of miles away. Yeah, I just just ordered a HDMI cable for my my computer. It was like a $6 purchase, right? And they were able to deliver it. But not only did they deliver it, the level of communication during the entire ordering process was like, hey, you know what? Your order's been received. All right. Now it's been fulfilled. You know, now it's on a truck, you know, now it's almost at your house. And then I love the last one. Oh, by the way, here's a picture of us dropping it off on your doorway. Have a nice day. (laughs) But, but, but not in a car dealership, right? Oh God, no. This is, this is the most, um, I guess, alarming part as if I was a car dealer, right? It would be hard to learn e-commerce selling cars. Really complicated, and, and I and I get it. Some documents require what signatures. You also want sometimes to see the customer to make sure there's no identity theft. You really need to feel and touch the trade so you don't overpay for it. So there are many variables. Sure. Now the cool thing is I'm actually just went through this, so we can actually use me as an example. I just bought a Nissan Armada from a dealership that's about four hours away from me. All right. I did the entire transaction over text message. They delivered the car from me. They delivered the car. Sorry. They delivered the car to me. All right. And uh, we did the entire signing of the paperwork uh, at my dining room table. Perfect. But, but, but again, you see, this is, this requires a total 
change of a sales process. Yes. So this is what I'm saying. Since change is incremental, why don't we approach it with baby steps? And I think there's no better way to learn e-commerce than by selling parts online. Oh, that's a good example. Yeah, 100%. Right? Because uh, parts are parts. Yep. That cabin filter for, for your armada, right? It's the same in, in Canada, in America, you know, anywhere. Yep. Right? So, so I should be able to go to your website, find the part, put it in the shopping cart, check out, get a confirmation email, and get it delivered to my house. Mm-hmm. So it's true on paper but it's very far from being true in real life. Yeah. And that's a good way to kind of practice and develop out what that process is going to look like for a much larger purchase. Yeah. That's that's cool. So a couple of months ago, I bought a brand new Honda. Nice. And um, it comes with regular mats. And I didn't realize that a couple of days later, I figured that I need all weather mats. Yep. So, because, you know, I, I would, I work with car dealers, you know, I would never go and not buy, Aftermarket. I would never buy aftermarket. Sure. Anymore. Sure. And they never seem to fit right either. You right. know, but like, like I want that good quality laser cut fit, you know? Right. I, I still want the OEM parts, a brand new car, you know, no big deal. So I, I go, I understand that. Why should I go to the dealership to do this? I should be able to do this online. And I went to three Honda websites in New York where we have large, large players, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, some really big guys out there. Yep. Do it. <laughs> and if you think about it, it's not even an event specific part. No, not at all. Right. So I ended up buying these formats from a Honda dealership in Massachusetts. Yeah. And I live in New York. That's so ridiculous. Because the dealership, that dealership in Massachusetts had an online ordering option. They had a, it was easy to find. The, the digital checkout was smooth. I got an email confirmation that they're coming to my house via UPS. Yep. And then I got an email with an additional discount coupon for my next purchase. Oh, see, look how beautiful. That's a clean, clean process, right? So I actually have a theory on why we're not, why we're not doing this, right? And it's just because I think for the longest time, we refuse to modernize our efforts or modernize our processes, right? Like we've like continued to, you know, it's like we know customers are using Uber. We know that they're using Amazon, but we're just going to stick our fingers in our ears and go, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear it. No, they're never going to want to do that with me. And just like, just assume that we can get by without having to meet that level of customer experience. But that's what they're expecting. Like they're expecting it. I mean, you just expect it. You just bought a Honda. Right. So, so I think there's another element at play since, uh, you know, the great recession, right? Mm-hmm. I would say the last eight years, right, we are experiencing record-breaking car sales. Double-digit gains, month over month, quarter after quarter. Like, That's really right. ridiculous. I agree with you. So if you're a car dealer, right, and you say, well, listen, I hear you. <laughs> I know about Uber and Amazon, but look at my financial state. I'm killing it. Oh, man. Does that just drive you nuts? Does that drive you nuts? Right. So it drives so me then, freaking crazy when I hear this crap. Right. But so, so then, this is my prediction, right? Because the economy is cyclical, right? So whether you like it or not, there will be a downturn. Yep. It kind of goes in a cycle, which I actually think we're entering back into right now. 
You know, there's not going to be as many awesome. units sold. I know here in Canada, we're feeling it. You know, there's, I think the bottom line, and, and the manufacturers, I'm seeing what the manufacturers here in Canada are projecting as far as numbers. And there are a lot of them that are projecting either very small increases or flat numbers or even poss- possibly lower numbers, right? So, right. I think we're entering into one of those. I don't, I'm not calling it a recession. I know a lot of people want to throw that word out. Recession. No, it's just a plateau. We can't continue to run double-digit gains all the freaking time, you know? So, so, so I agree with you. This is definitely not a recession, nowhere near. But at some point in the future, it will happen, you know, yeah. again, whether we like it or not, right? And, and when it happens, you, you know, a lot of these guys are not going to be able to survive. Mm-mm. It'll be survival of the fittest. And uh, even a 10 percent decrease in car sales will wipe out a lot of car dealers yes only because they are still in 2019 don't understand the beauty of parts and service yeah well they don't understand how to create an experience or a process that meets that customer's expectations so i I have a word for this and i'd love to hear your thoughts and opinion on this i call it full belly syndrome yes (laughs) yes Yes. Right. It's just like we've had these years and years of prosperity and it's just like, you know, I mean, like you've run dealerships, you know, you've managed teams. So you know how it is, right? You you know how your team, you know, you come off this really, really good month, like a, like a big good month. Right. And then you go into the first week of the next month and everybody's kind of like sitting back in their chair and they're just kind of like, Hey, yeah, I'm good. Hey, you know, uh, you can take that one. Why don't you go ahead and take that? You know what I mean? It's just like, I feel like as an industry, we have this, I don't know. It's just this epidemic of full belly syndrome. And it's just like, you know, people are now getting caught, caught with their pants down. They've half-assed it for the last, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, you know, and been able to ride that wave of prosperity. And now they actually are getting to a point where they're like, oh crap, what do I do? I feel like there's a lot of reactiveness in the industry right now. Are you feeling the same thing? hundred percent, you know, and, and again, I think dealers are, are, are missing out on parts and service. Right, because at yeah. the end of the day, right, this is where the money is. Yeah. We, we have to come to terms with reality, right? It's impossible to make money selling cars. Yeah, we right? have to make it the service department. Yeah, meaning, meaning that, you know, it's so competitive and um, customers have so many options and a lot of salespeople are not good enough. They can't build the value, so we end up selling the payment, not yep. the car. Yeah. You know? <laughs> So, and again, if you look, you know, even at NADA statistics, right, the, the front end margins are, are non-existent. It's, it's, it's like a unicorn, right? Because well, the manufacturers choke, 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 choked us out. I mean, they literally choked us out. I mean, right. I got guys that got vehicles landing on their lot, landing on their lot, all right, that they're having to floor plan that have three, four, five, six hundred dollars worth of profit in it. That's it. If they sell it at sticker. If right. they sell a full Which pop, that's all that's in there. And they won't, right. right? Because there'll be some other jackass in the industry who will take $300 less, right? Yeah. So it, it's- $600 less. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So, so, so that's why if you, if you really don't focus on your parts and service, you're done. So cool. Let's deep dive into this because I've actually, this has actually been a topic on a couple of the other podcasts I've done and I, and I love this and I'm glad that we're talking about this. Like, okay, so your thoughts and opinion, how do we build the dealership through the service department? 
So, so we have to face the unfortunate reality that I would say 97% of dealer principals, general managers, or partners came up through sales. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. So when you come up through sales, you just don't understand service. It's mm-hmm. not that you don't like it. You just don't understand it. Sure. Because you, you, you never even go inside. Yep. You know, like whatever they do, you know, let them do it. Yeah, they're, they're just there to feed me. That's what it is. It's like I sell, <laughs> hold on a second. I sell cars. I don't service cars, right? You know, it's, 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 it's like, okay, well, we're more important, obviously, than you guys are. Yet, you know, but it's funny, though, because these guys, maybe they've never read a f- and profit and loss statement before. I mean, it typically, what, the service department, parts of the service department is covering anywhere between 60 to 70 some odd percent of the monthly dealership expenses in the first place. Yet they're the ones that are thinking that they're, you know, the sales department's one that's thinking that they're the ones bringing in the income. <laughs> but the, the problem is that, again, and a lot of it has to do with the manufacturer, right? Because they make you chase the number. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a lot of guys are ego, egomaniacs. So you do want to go to the dealer meeting and say, well, I'm the number one dealer, <laughs> right? And when you say number one, you're not talking about parts sales or labor sales, right? No. I wish we were. I really wish we were. I wish, I wish when we showed up to dealer meetings, when the word number one was used, that's what we were using it for, but you're hundred percent right. But right. We're like, yeah, I sold, you know, 400 Nissans. I made no money, but I'm not. I made, made no money, but hey, I sold 400 Nissans. The manufacturer loves me. Here's a pat on the back and a gold star. That's right. That's right. So, so, so first step is, you know, you have to face the truth and you have to look in the mirror and say, well, if I don't understand this vital part of my own business, Shouldn't I take some action and learn it? <laughs> you would think so. You know, That'd be a smart the, thing to do. The, the, the easiest way to learn it, if, especially if you're a general manager or the owner, is to literally relocate your office from mm. the showroom to the service drive. And just by physically being there, you will understand what's going on. And you will see the inefficiencies or you will see the good things you know, that are happening. And the problem is that service department is lacking the salesmanship that you and I are familiar with in sales. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, we are used to having Saturday morning meetings, right, with our salespeople. Yep. I've never seen a Saturday morning meeting in the service department with service advisors. You know, that's a really good point. I think out of out of the eighty some odd dealerships we work with, I, I can think of two off the top of my head that actually do like a, like, and there may be a couple more, but two, I know for sure that do like a, like a, like a kind of a Saturday, but they don't do it on Saturday, but they right. do do it another day. But it's, it's that type of meeting with their service advisors but, and their but, service but, team. But, but you know that out of the 80 dealerships that you work with, 80 of them have Saturday morning meetings for salespeople. Oh yeah, for sure. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. So, so, so this, we just take it for granted, you know, and even if you spend a little bit of time training your service advisors, your, your hours per repair order will go up. Well, see, that's okay. So hours, I've always struggled with that a little bit. And maybe this is the dealer principal portion of me kind of jumping out because I'm actually annoyed by that. Like, I don't know why um, we've always in our industry decided that hours was the right KPI to be measuring when it comes to service department, Right. Because hours don't mean anything. If you got a shitty effective labor rate, all right, just because just because you're selling at you know one point 
you know, nine hours per work order, you know, but your dole rate's 105, but your effective labor rate is 82. Okay. So you're just discounting shit. So who cares if that I've always, I've always kind of been annoyed by that. I'm always wondering why don't we just not measure the actual dollars coming in on a, on an RO versus the actual hours. Anyways, I know it's a little bit of a sidetrack. Sometimes they get a little squirrely, but it's just one of those things that always bug the nuts, bug the crap out of me. <laughs> well, I think, listen, you make a very good point. And again, I, I, I promise you that most people in the car dealership will not be able to tell you the difference between the, the door rate and the effective labor rate. Okay. Now that, see, uh, you know what? You're right. I hate to admit it, but you are right. <laughs> You'd be amazed on how many, you know, meetings I've had with general managers and they couldn't even tell me what their effective labor rate or even how to possibly calculate their effective labor rate. Now, look guys, I know there's a lot of people out there listening and watching right now and they go, but I can't. No, that's cool. I, I agree. Look, there's a good chunk of you guys out there that do, but there's a large amount that don't and they don't understand that that's where that profitability that's where that income is coming in and that's where the potential for growth is exactly and same thing with parts let's go back to labor you know if you are it's a well-known fact right that you can make 75 percent markup on labor yeah i mean i don't know any other industry where you can do this i know right hey well 75 percent on gross 75 percent gross on labor i mean come on Right, and and when it comes to parts, right, it's a standard operating procedure to have a parts markup at forty-five to fifty-five percent. Well, and, I, I like that. Normally, I'm seeing thirty-five, forty-five, but I would love forty-five, fifty-five. That'd be awesome. And and I'll give you an example, like the the iPhone, which is a super desirable product. You know, they are not having these margins. No, oh well, I mean, hell, we're not having them in cars. I mean, you're in between two to six percent if you're lucky. <laughs> right. So that's what I'm saying. So, so once you understand that you can actually make this money legally, <laughs> I like the word legally. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, and and also don't forget, look at the customer's mentality. They come into the showroom, program to negotiate. Mm-hmm. I don't care where you are, what dealership, right? They, they will ask for a discount. Of course, absolutely. They don't do this in service. <laughs> no. It's the same customer. It's the same dealership. You know what? Uh, you, you'd really like this. I was on another podcast a while ago. I might have to reference it in the tag of this, but um, uh, we were talking about something very, very similar to this. And there was a survey done uh, with uh, a couple hundred people, right? And they were talking about, um, you know, what percentage of them, you know, uh, love their wives and then what percentage of them love their children and then what percentage of them love their car. You want to hear the funniest damn thing? The percentage of people that love the same percentage of people that love their kids is the same percentage that love their car. And then it was actually a lot less than the percentage that love their wives. Okay. Um, but, but, but you're hundred percent right. Look, look, in some cases, all right, we can spend almost just as much time with our car as we can our kids. I hate to say it, unfortunately, it can't be the case, right? But we, we hold it up there, that level. I mean, I think with service part, and, and I'm, the, way, the reason I'm saying this is I, I'm pushing, and here's the punchline, guys, who's listening, watching this, is that you need to treat these cars, all right, as these people are bringing in their children. They're bringing in their kids. That's how much passion they have for that car. It's what it brings them. It does their day to day. It gets them to point A to point B. It's it's what provides their livelihood for their family. It is an incredibly important thing. To your point, that's why they're not going to negotiate on it. It's incredibly right. important. 
right. And also, I think it comes down to first impressions. Mm-hmm. So we can only make this first impression during the first oil change. Yep. So, so here's a perfect example. You buy a brand new car, you just bought a new used car, right? And uh, six months down the road, you need to get your first oil change. Your initial reaction is most likely to call the dealership where you bought the car to, to, to do it there. Sure. It's only normal. Now, hopefully it already should have been scheduled before I left, but yes. Okay, let's, let's say hypothetically I have to call. Yep. So let's say your, your, your sensor goes on today and says, hey, Jason, you do <laughs> an oil change. So you call your dealership and they say, today's no good. <laughs> That's it. It's over, right? Yeah. It is, at that point, it is over. It's like, okay, no problem. I got a Mr. Lube down the street. Thank you very much. And you do go down the street. You don't even call, right? Nope. You go there and all of a sudden, you know, it's like they were waiting there for you. Yep. Right? Technician is available. The bay is open. They get you in and out 30 minutes, you know, and it's not cheap. No. But to your point, though, I think that's why it's another perfect example of how our industry. No, no, no. Look, there are some dealerships that are listening to this and go, look, Max, Jason, look, guys, I got a fast lane. Like, I got this covered. I, I think there are. I would probably say maybe 30, 40% of the dealerships out there do have that element covered, right? But there's a lot that don't. And again, it seems to be that this is what the customer's expectation is and we're not meeting the customer's expectation. Actually, in fact, our expectation is that the customer is willing to bend to our expectation. And that's when everybody's losing. Right, like that's we're the game in town. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm telling you, the, the, the entire... Jiffy Lube, right, or Firestone model is based on the fact that car dealers can't get their own customers to come back for an oil change. That's why they exist. It's literally right. why they exist. You so, know, it's, I mean, think about it. The whole industry was created because as, a, as an industry, automotive industry, dealer, a car dealer industry, we couldn't service our customers. So an right. entire another industry was created because we couldn't service our customers. Right. And that other industry is flourishing. Yes. Right, and the and, same thing to say about parts and service, parts and accessories too, right? Yes, and, and 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 they're measuring. You know, they have their own KPIs. If you look at Jiffy Loop training, it it's so intense. They go through 120 hours of training a year, and all they do is oil changes, <laughs> right? And, and they measure, you know, the the upsell penetration for wipers, for filters, for wheel alignment. Right, dealers just don't do that. No. It's out of sight, out of mind. You know, and that's really, really frustrating because when there's a sales slow, you already cannot make any money selling cars. But when there will be a sales slowdown, how are you going to survive unless you really maximize every opportunity in service? 100%. And here's what I find is that the, those Jiffy Lubes, those Mr. Lubes, those kind of guys, they're amazing at measuring the, the at-bat, right? It, you know, every transaction, it's that at-bat opportunity. I step up to the plate. Am I going to hit a single? Or am I going to get a double? Or am I taking this, you know, to the, you know, to the wall, right? right. You know, but, but it seems with dealerships, what we don't want is we don't, we don't necessarily break it down at the at-bat opportunity. We just look at it as a whole, 
And we're like, oh, crap. Well, our service department's making money. Well, obviously it is. Dumb, dumb. He's 70, 75% gross profit on labor hours. Clearly, they're going to make money. I mean, if, if you had a service department that's not making money, you probably shouldn't be in the business. Um, because it's not difficult to do so, right? But they're looking at it as a whole when you got these other guys that are looking at this individual transaction and how we can actually better that at-bat percentage every single time. Right. And, and you ask any of them, what's your PVR, right? They know the answer. How much you spend in marketing per car? They know the answer. Of course. What's your closing ratio? They know the answer, right? How many walk-ins do you have today? They know the answer, right? And then you say, I'm going to ask you the same questions now about your service department. <laughs> and they're like, what? Hold on, hold on. Let, let, me, let me go get my service manager for this one. Yeah. You're like, how much are you spending per repair order on marketing? Right? And that's a, it's over. Right? It's like you get a blank stare. No, it's really true though. I mean, look, the department that provides over, well over 50% of the profitability of a dealership gets less than 5% of the marketing budget. Right, right. Or you say, what's your um, closing ratio? What, what is your percentage of one line item repair orders? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, so to me, right, one line item repair order means that you have nothing but order takers. Yep, oil change, oil change, oil change. Have a nice day, next. Yep. It, it, you know, and do you, you know, uh, put down an upcode for decline service? Are your writers honest enough to actually record decline services in the repair order? <laughs> yeah, I know. And I love those. I mean, cause I, my background's BDC. So, you know, one of the, I mean, my favorite calls is decline work orders. I mean, it's juicy. There's a little meat on that bone. I'm getting that right. customer back in for that, for that break job. I guarantee. And it's almost like selling <laughs> fire insurance, right? Exactly. It's like, I remember, so like I got, so I, I run a BDC for hire, right? And it's a, not, a, you know, we do about, no, 15, 25,000 calls a month. You know, a lot of it has to do with service. I just had one of my girls a few months ago make a phone call and, and it, it, something sounded a little odd. So I had to jump in on the call just so I could listen to it. <laughs> She's a character. Um, the guy literally drove out of the dealership metal on metal. I mean, straight up metal on metal. There was no breaks to this, to this minivan, like none whatsoever. Right. They actually forced him to sign off saying that he was driving out of the dealership with pretty much no braking power whatsoever. She called him up literally for the first questions out of her mouth was, so where do you live? Where do you normally go for coffee? Where do you work? Because I want to make sure all my friends and family know not to drive where you are because you're driving a 5,000 pound missile right now. That's got no braking ability. Whatsoever. <laughs> and I was just like, Holy crap, a little aggressive, but you know, Good point though, you know, but it's yeah. gen call DGENs are there's such huge opportunity and no one ever pays attention to them. Exactly. So I think there's a way to, to fix it. And this is what I do for my dealers, right? I set them up either with prepaid maintenance or with a, like an engine for life program. Okay, cool. So, so let's say engine for life means that the dealer guarantees the engine of the vehicle for as long as you own it but you have to come back and do all scheduled maintenance according to the owner's manual, nothing more. Yeah, nothing yeah, sure, sure. There's a catch, but there's a, look, it's a, it's a give and take, easy peasy. It's a, it's a reasonable catch. Right? 100%. They just want you to follow the manual and do the service at their dealership. Yeah, my dealership up here in Canada, I did the same thing, but I did with winter tires because right. winter tires are huge for us up here, right? I was like, winter tires for life, all right? You know, hey, you'll never have to buy another set of winter tires ever. Right. One condition you got to service your damn car with me. Like it, it, was, it was a trade, you know, one for one. Right. And, 
and, and, and that at least starts the process, increases the retention, because without it, service retention is a joke. I mean, it's less than 30%. But you know what I want to do? And um, because I think for the people that are listening to this right now, maybe watching this as well, is um, they may not have that service background. So they might be getting a little frustrated with us. They're like, okay, you're kind of shitting on me this entire time. But, you know, let's, let's talk about how it can benefit the sales department because it truly can. I will Absolutely. tell you, I, 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 have, I have not yet seen a dealership that's got a rocking service department where the sales part department wasn't also rocking at well. As, as well, right? right? There is so much value in having a well-processed, well-oiled service department. Not only does it drive revenue, drive gross profit, but it also creates transparency, trust within the dealership, which then we see that not only in the service retention, but then we also see that sales retention on the sales side as well. And in fact, actually, when I think about all the dealerships we work with, the ones that are still being very successful right now and are continuing to still see double digit gains quarter after quarter. It's those ones that are crushing it in their service operations and they're translating those efforts from the service operations into the sales operations as well. That's right. And, and I think, listen, if the people that are listening are primarily from the sales side of the dealership, right? Yeah. This is my advice, right? What I see and what I experienced when I was in a dealership is that there's a, there's a Chinese wall. There's a separation between <laughs> yes. sales and service, right? You guys got to get on the same page. Mm -hmm. So you start by having meetings together. Ah, good point. Good point. I think this is actually, hey, let's, let's talk. We'll just take a moment real quick. Any dealer principals, general managers out there that are listening to this right now, you know, this is a great takeaway right now. You know, it's like you need to have your sales and your service department um, on the exact same page. And the best way to start doing that is not having meetings separately, but having meetings together, ensure that they're working together holistically towards the goal and objective. Because this way people can understand what the other department is doing. Mm -hmm. Because if you, if you ask, you know, a used car manager about service, he's going to say, there to rob me, right? They're going to use a lot of four letter words. Let's just say that that's what they're going to use. Right. <laughs> You know, so, so you have to get them on the same page. And then we already have tremendous expertise in sales. Let's apply these expertise to service. Let's help our service advisors be better. Let's come up with pay plans, right? Because we get very creative with pay plans for salespeople, right? Sure. There's a stair step, then there's a you know, training on Tuesday, right? And you <laughs> yep, yep. Between 3 and 3.30, right? <laughs> you know, so, so we can do this in, in, in service and say, hey, this is what you get for each upsell of uh, windshield wipers. Yep. Right, because pay plans drive behavior. So, so if you create a beneficial pay plan, these service advisors will start chasing the money. They will. They will. Well, they will start chasing the money. But the one thing, I, and I always want to put a little warning on that, right? Because I... I pay plans aren't replacements for bad processes. Do you know what I mean? Correct. So, so, so yes, a pay plan uh, should, and, and hopefully will encourage the customer uh, or the service advisor to, to chase the money, but you still need to develop out the processes uh, because yeah. it, that won't replace it. You know what I mean? So, so I think the only way for you to develop a good process is to first mystery shop your own dealership. 
Ah, good idea. Again, a lot of GMs and owners don't want to do that because uh, it's hard to <laughs> fix the facts. You know, and all you have to do is call your own service, call your dealership, and, and time how long does it take to get transferred to service. Mm -hmm. So I called today, and it took a minute and 40 seconds. That's unreasonable. Yeah, 100%. Right? And, and then uh, you have to ask a simple question. Can I come in to, for an oil change today? And if the answer is anything but yes, you lost the game. For sure. And we've said that earlier, right? You go, look, you're just going to drive down the street. Easy peasy. Right. Walmart, right. Jiffy Lube, Mitchell whatever it is. Let, let's say you call and you say, I ha let's say you call a Toyota dealership, right? You say, I have a Toyota Camry. Can you tell me how much is the brake job? And if you can't get the answer on the phone, it's game over. Yep. Right? Oh, 100%. Right. Well, I mean, I mean, good point. So I, um, so I bought that Armada, right? And, you know, I bought it because it had the big V8 in it. So my plans was to tow with it. it, it it's got the hitch. It's, it's got the wiring, but it doesn't have the brake controller. Right. So I called the dealership, you know, um, get a brake controller, you know, without even thinking the first thing out of their mouth is we don't do those. Of course. What? <laughs> what, what do you mean you don't do them? Like I, I have to come in. So, right? here, here, here's the crazy part. Here's, here's the craziest part. I actually went into the dealership to buy the wiring harness. Then I went down the street to uh, Canadian Tire. We have a Canadian Tire. That's what, that's kind of our big on a, you know thing here, right? And I paid them four hundred twenty-five bucks to install a brake controller. But I had to go to the dealership first to buy a sixteen-dollar cable. The dealership totally lost out just because they didn't want to take the time. They didn't want. They didn't have the process developed to say, you know, to say, well, maybe we should, maybe we can do it. You know, it was just like, nope, didn't have the time. We don't do those. Right. <laughs> So, so, but again, you have to mystery shop to find out what's really going on. Yep. And, and once you know what the problem is, you, you can fix it. Because I don't think it makes sense to start fixing, you know, unless you know what's broken. Sure, 100%. You know, so, 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 so then besides getting better at service, right, you can, you can generate additional profits there. Mm -hmm. What's stopping you from selling prepaid maintenance? In service. Yep. What's stopping you from selling vehicle service contracts? The extended warranties, right? You know, Correct. it's like, what, what, so, so one of my favorite calls when I was working in the BDC department, because I made good money on it, right, was your warranty was about to expire. Right. So I, I would call them. I'm like, hey, it was, just, it was the easiest bloody freaking call in the world to top it off, right? It was like, hey, Mr. Smith, just wanted to let you know that the warranty on your vehicle is about to expire. Do you plan on keeping the vehicle for any longer? Yes? Oh, that's great. Did you know that we can actually extend the protection of your, of your warranty for your vehicle for as little as blah, 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 blah? I, I mean, I made, I made good money on that, but it was like that process. Again, it was a process, I would say, well over 90% 90, 90 of dealerships do not have set up. And it can that's easily right. be done at the service counter. 30,000 mile service, right? Yeah. And we're talking about it like a $1,500 to $3,000 service warranty for crying out loud. Like right. we're not that's talking about chump change. doesn't <laughs> even mention it. Yeah. Right? So, so again, there's some synergy if you take your finance manager and you make them train the service advisors on how to properly present the vehicle service contract. Yep. You know, you, you are bound 
to pick up some money. Yeah. And there are many solutions. Listen, maybe the service contract is $2,000, right? And people don't have $2,000, but you can do zero APR finance. Yeah, a lot of them will. A lot of them will. They'll do it for 18, 24 months. So it's like, we can do this for as little as da, 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 da. And that right. single the gross profit margin, that could easily be a genome. Easily right. 50% gross profit just in that service contract. Or, again, you know, there are companies that provide um, financing for repair orders. Yes. And, and people don't utilize them. <laughs> so if the customer says, well, I can't afford it, like, okay, have a nice day. Max, I think it all comes down to the fact, and I hate saying it, but I say it over and over again, full belly syndrome. It's full belly syndrome. It's driving me freaking nuts. Like I'm literally like, I, I, I don't know, man. I'm just getting it, ticked off. <laughs> so this is what I recently realized, right? That this is a really simple business. I mean, let's be honest. It is, it is right? It's not rocket science at all. It really isn't. <laughs> right. So I don't want to say, you know, that I'm this brainiac, right? I'm a regular guy, you know, and, and if I can do it, I think anybody can do it. And I am convinced the car dealers know what they need to do. Yes, I am too. It's just when it comes to execution and implementation, that's the breakdown. Max, it's just time. That's what it comes down to. Oh, the, the, you know what the crazy ass thing is? Is that if, if people took the three or four things that we just talked about in the last, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes, right? All right. They can see some serious serious increase in gross profit and revenue within their dealership. Well, what is it going to take them for to execute those things? Time. They actually have to be intentful with their time to develop out those processes, train those employees. And for some odd reason, they'll just walk into the dealership, grab their coffee, sit down at their desk and just let the day completely control them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And another issue I see with dealer principles, you know, at, at least here in America, you know, I see this a lot, where they have gen, general managers, right, that are really not general managers. I like the quote, right? Just somebody, I like this. Like, right. I, I think it was just like, just because general to, managers. <laughs> a general manager gets paid on the whole pot. <laughs> yeah. If you're a general manager and you don't get paid in service. You're a glorified sales manager. You're a general sales manager at best, right? But let's say either they have a GSM or even if they have a GM, they still don't give them the authority to make a lot of decisions. Yes. But we also don't give them the training. Right. See, so, that's the other thing too. So we don't give them the training. So to me, this is crazy. Like if you look at any Fortune 500 company, right? Mm -hmm. so, so let's say if they hire a guy to run the company, in most cases, he becomes both, or she becomes both, a CEO and a chairman, or mm -hmm. a chairman, right? And this complete decision-making in that person's hands, because if you're willing to pay stupid money, you have to let them make decisions, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. But if you pay a lot of money and they're handcuffed, you know, how can you then blame them that the profits are not that great? Exactly. If, if yeah. we don't give them the power, like I said, we don't give them the training. We don't develop out the activities that we trained on. If we don't coach on their efforts, you know, I, I just feel like we're just, we're still in a place in our industry that we're just looking for that, that, that diet pill, that quick fix, you know? Right. And it's just like, 
we want that magic pill. We would, you know, we don't actually want to work to lose the 20 pounds. We just want to take a fucking pill. <laughs> right. So I'll give you a good example. Uh, I'm a member of uh, Greater New York Dealer Association. Okay. So it's a, it's a state association and they have over 400 members. Cool. Meaning most of them are dealers. So they provide training in their facility. They have a calendar that they put out. Oh, wow. And you go for BDC training, FNI. So one day they had a class scheduled for service advisors. Mm-hmm. And I figured I'm going to sign up because I really want to see what they teach. Yep. And it's not expensive. It was like $170 for six hour course. Wow. So I get there and uh, they said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm here for the training. They said, we had to cancel it because nobody signed up. <laughs> they said three people signed up and you were one of the three. Full belly syndrome. Right. So just think about <laughs> They have 400 dealers. It's insane, man. That's insane. Right? So, I, I, I mean, I'm going to say, let's say, let's lowball it. There has to be a, an average of three advisors per rooftop. At least. At least. That's, so, you have a total pool of 1,200 people. We couldn't even get one-third of 1% to come for training. I know, man. That's crazy. You know? So... So, 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 so that's the problem, the complacency, that full belly that you keep referring to, you know, and when, you know, the proverbial shit is going to hit the fan, it might be too late. But you know what, though? I don't mind. I know I'm going to get some shit for this. People are going to make a few comments. I don't mind, you know, because maybe this will actually find finally weed out all the people that, that are just half-assing at this industry. And I don't want half-assing this industry. Uh, this industry has been my life, all right? And it's going to be my life. And if, if that's what it takes to, to weed out all those half-assed individuals, then cool with me. Let's do it, you know? Maybe, maybe this, this plateau that we're entering into will start removing some of that crap. And I'll give you a perfect, perfect example. So are you familiar with pill pack? I'm not, but I want to know. Lay it on me. What you got? <laughs> so pill pack is uh, a pharmacy. Okay. It's owned by Amazon. Oh, I can't even know. But that doesn't surprise me, actually. It doesn't surprise me. Of course, they're going to own a pharmacy. You know, and it's so brilliant because, again, they don't need to reinvent the concept of a pharmacy because it's really hard to do. Sure. So they needed to perfect the process. So instead of you and I going to a pharmacy and standing online and waiting for a medication, you set up the account with them. They contact your insurance company on your behalf. They contact your doctors. They free shipping like Amazon. <laughs> you never have to think about refills. And let's say you are on multiple medications. They will, t- and let's say you have to take it on Tuesday and Thursday and Friday at two o'clock. Yep. They will put together little pill packs and ship it to you so you never miss a day when you have to take it. Oh, already done in the packs? Yes. Ah, see, look at that. What an experience, right? Right there. Right. So, I am willing to go on the record and say that within X amount of years, they will wipe out 90% of pharmacies. Wow. Because why would you go to a pharmacy? How would you justify it? Yeah, you know, look, I, and I think anybody out there that's listening and watching to this, guys, look, we're not trying to be fear mongers here. Okay, we're not. We're not trying to scare you into having to change. We're just laying the facts out. 
right? The oh, facts, kind of like, this is I, how the customers is engaging online. This is how they're buying. This is this is what their expectation is. So, the, so I think the biggest misconception is that if you go online, you're going to make no money. Yeah. And I think that the one. opposite is true. Mm-hmm. People are willing to pay for convenience. When I get my stuff from Amazon, whatever it is, I guarantee I'm not getting the best deal. No, no, sometimes I'm not. In fact, actually, I actually know I'm not. All right, I ordered some um, landscaping lights for, uh, for my backyard, right? I knew that at um, Home Depot, they were on sale for eight ninety nine. all right? They were ten ninety nine on on Amazon. Next day delivery. Right. I didn't have to, I, I just literally, I, instead of me driving to Home Depot, all right, I bought six lights, that's $2 a pop, so that's 12 bucks. I actually spent the extra $12 right there just because right. I didn't want to drive into the, drive into the store. So, so now we can make the parallel and go back to Carvana, right? If, if you look at their prices, they're not giving cars away. No, they're, they're at market value on everything. Right, so, so that's the, I think this is the ultimate proof, right? That people are willing to pay the full price for that experience of transparency and convenience. Yes. And you know what? And you're hundred percent right. It all comes down. We've talked about the service department. We've talked about the sales department. We've talked about parts and accessories, but it all comes down to those three things you just talked about, right? It's transparency, the experience, and of course the time saving element. You know, right. Those are the three things we're looking for. And same thing goes for F&I, something that, you know, Carvana hasn't mastered yet. And, and, and dealers also, you know, to them, F&I is like the dirty secret, right? So you can go to any dealership's website, right? I don't care where you are, right? You can find out what the price of the car is. You can find out probably, you can make an appointment for your service online. Yep. You can find out the price of the part. But you will never find out anything about the F&I products they sell. <laughs> right? Every finance tab on the website takes you to a credit app and like a lease calculator. Of course. Why not, right? Right. Because the idea is that we're going to ambush you, right? <laughs> it's going to be an ambush yep. in F&I, yep. right? We're going to box you in and it's going to be high pressure sales, right, Jason? That's why we call it the box, right? Right. <laughs> if you don't take this warranty, it's game over. Exactly. Right. right. So, so why not at least put it on your website? People like to do research. Mm-hmm. And if they know what they're buying, they'll be much more, you know, okay with it. Yep. You can list features and benefits of F&I products because they really are good products. Of course. If you live in New York City and you don't have tire and wheel protection, <laughs> it's almost a suicide mission. Right? <laughs> That's what I've been told. I don't know, but yeah, you're, the, you're like the third person I've heard that from. <laughs> right? Or, you know, if you buy a car, right, and you're financing it for six years, right, but the factory warranty is 336, why wouldn't you buy an extended warranty? No, I, I completely agree with you. And that, and that is absolutely the direction we have to head in. Hey, Max, um, I, I just want to take this. This is, I think, a great point for us to, to kind of to compose there. I, I, I definitely want to do a follow-up podcast to this because I think we can easily jam for another three or four hours. But oh. hey, everyone out there that's listening and watching to this right now, look, 
bottom line is don't be afraid of change. All right. Embrace that change. All right. Look at that service department. That service department is your gateway to growth over the next few years. Max, you know it. I know it. Like I, we all have to embrace it. Right. And guys, bottom line, get hungry. We need hunger. No more full belly syndrome shit. Let's get hungry again. And I think as dealerships become more and more hungry, they'll realize that change is not necessarily something that they should do, but something that they have to do. Hey, uh, Max, for everybody out there that's been listening and watching and would love to learn more about what you do, maybe, maybe get one of your books, what is the best way to connect with you? So, I have a website. It's my name, maxzanin.com. My books are available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. The name of the book is Perfect Dealership. The other book is Car Business 101. And I'm actually in the process of writing my third book. Uh, the working title is The Art and Science of Running a Car Dealership. Nice, nice. You know, and it's going to be like a step-by-step -step guide of what is it that you need to do. Literally, like you got your job as a GM today, open this book and just follow the steps. Awesome. Well, Max, again, man, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me. You keep doing what you're doing. This industry that we love and that we're so passionate about, you know, let's just keep pushing forward and let's just, hey, the future is the future. I'm so excited for it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's, uh, I'm sure you know, you, you know when you train salespeople, right? We, we always go back to that movie, the, the Boiler Room. Of course. I remember that. <laughs> and the guy says, act as if, right? The yep. Ben Affleck character. So, so I think the, the takeaway for car dealers should be act as if it's 2009. Nice. And you are on the balls of your ass. Get hungry, right? Get hungry. And you're fighting for your survival. Yep. And with that perspective, I think you'll be okay. Yeah, let's. we need a little Rocky Balboa. We're going to toss a little money ball into this, and we're going to have a hell of a future. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Hey, Max, thanks again for jamming with me. I really appreciate it. You have yourself a wonderful night. All right, awesome. We covered a bunch of great topics today. What stood out most to you? Be sure to let us know in the comment section below. And don't forget to like the post and share it to keep the conversation going. You can follow Jason on all social media platforms by following Strategy with Jason. You can find him pretty well everywhere you can share content. I hope we were able to get you thinking. And until the next time, this has been Nathan with Digital Dealership Solutions. Have a great day.